You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. series. I don't want to say I'm in a rut. I hope I don't, you don't feel like we're in a rut, but this is going a little bit slower than I intended, but that's okay. Uh, I honestly believe these are things we need to hear and apply. I'm preparing us to get into Romans 14, and I'm going to tell you that uh, with all the uh, unique differences that we have uh, in our individual thinking, our backgrounds in various churches, perhaps even denominations, and we come together as a church called Alpine Bible Church, and though we've been together now for 20 years, for 20 years, for 20 years, for 20 years, okay, though we've been together that long, as new people come and join us, as others trickle out, and as we have that uh, tendency, that brings those continual differences, and we're trying to maintain a sense of unity, not so much conformity to every little thing that I believe, but we're certainly coming to the conformity of God's word uh, that draws us together, that uh, spurs us on, has made us a unique church of who we are. So if you're new, uh, these things are simply what I believe are necessary to all believers. Uh, this is a, a text for all of us to uh, follow. Uh, Paul has written this as sort of a follow-up to uh, uh, just the uh, entire text from Matthew 5, uh, the Beatitudes, this is an expansion of that. These are things I believe that are expected from us, yet we still need to review these. And these precepts are preparing us how to process our differences. We're going to filter our differences through precepts so that truth always steers how we react and respond to one another. Not our, this is how I do it. This is how I think. No, we're going to take our attitudes and actions and all of that and filter them through truth. And at the other end, helps us then process how we will then be unified as we look at our differences through God's word. We can't do Romans 14 until we understand why Paul wrote 12 and 13 first. There's a rationale for the sequence. And I think it's been missed. Uh, so as we uh, hit this this morning, let me just review very quickly. Uh, uh, everything flows out of verses 1 and 2. So every precept is, is sort of expanding, and you cannot have any expanding precepts operating properly in your life if verse 1 is not put in place. So let me remind you, verse 1, that by the mercies of God, uh, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That was our first one. The second one was to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we uh, have this idea of uh, living sacrificially before God, committing ourselves to him every day as his uh, servant in Christ. He's in charge. We have this idea that I don't want the world to shape my thinking. I want Christ to through his word. The third one was uh, on down in verse 3, to think soberly. Uh, well, the Bible tells us how we're supposed to think. 
And we have this independent streak that says, I want to think my own thoughts, my own way. And the Word of God says, no, you're to think the way Christ wants you to think, which is to, first of all, think soberly. Uh, have joy, yes. Joy is wonderful, but be serious, understanding that we are manifesting Christ to the world, to our families, to our kids, kids to parents. Uh, we're uh, telling a story about what's happening in our lives, and so we're to think soberly in doing that. The fourth one was then we are members of one another in verse 5. We belong to each other. When you come to this church at Alpine Bible and become a, a member of the Alpine Bible Church, it's not so much about this church, but it certainly is about being members with one another. So we commit ourselves to each other. That's very important. I was a little hard last week. And I think I stepped on a couple of toes, I was told. And I'm just going to say to you that uh, I don't uh, pull punches about, uh, I've been very polite with many of you, I love you, and so when I'm one-on-one talking with you, I'm going to be very kind and very nice and say that you can sit here for 20 years and be a part of our church, uh, and that's fine. You can drink in all that we do. But you can't serve in certain capacities unless you say, I choose to connect myself with the body of Christ. I think it's absolutely necessary. In our day, it's very necessary. Uh, If this is the church you choose to join, then join it. Not because it's so much mandated. Back in that day, no one joined by filling out a form and giving a testimony that way. But folks joined the church because when they got saved and got baptized in that church, they were automatically members. They were on the roll, I'm telling you. But with multiplicity of churches today, uh, we have no choice but to call us to take that step further of identifying and signing on the dotted line that we belong to each other. We're committing to that. And guess what? Every lawyer in town wants to sue you if you belong to this church and you do anything for this church and you get blamed for it. That's just a whole other secular reason. It's terrible, but that's the world we live in today. But if you belong to this body of Christ as a member, then you are corporately protected. I just want you to know that. And you know what? You put that in trust because guess what? When us as staff counsel people... I've already been into court twice. No, three times. I've been into court three times for my counseling. I'm just telling you. I've been sued once. Not because I was wrong, but because the person who I told this is what the Word of God says got mad and sued me. I'm just telling you that happens. But guess what? The, the brothers in Christ who were members of that church didn't have to worry about it. But the church got sued. That happens. I have uh, $2 million of uh, lawsuit protection. That's not very much today, but I've got enough to, I think, protect us. Is that right, Larry? I, I, I think it's around there. I, I hope it is. Because <laughs> today the numbers are bigger than they used to be 20 years ago. You know. Anyway. We, uh, we just know that we live in a litigation world, and these are horrible things. And uh, God's body needs to be protected from those things. And being a member, if you're handling a child back here and you don't have the proper uh, uh, certification, if you haven't been approved by the government that you're okay, you're a nice person, uh, and, we, uh, and you're back there operating and you drop the child or you bump the child's head, you know, I, I've done that many times to kids. Don't give them to my care because I'll, I'll probably half cripple them, you know. I'm, let's play and let's throw the ball and let's throw you into the wall. You know, I, I mean... I'm just saying that if anybody gets back there and does that, and they're not a member, that's a horrible lawsuit, and it will happen. 
If an unsaved person's at our church and they come in as a guest and something goes wrong, uh, of course they're probably going to sue. That's the way the world thinks. I didn't mean to go down that trail. That was not in my mind. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Members of one another, it's all about really just identifying with Christ together. We agree together who we are. The, the next one was, die. I jumped down from that to uh, verse 9, uh, where it says, love is, what be, uh, love is to be without hypocrisy, cling to what is good, but the uh, actual pr- uh, precept is abhor what is evil. Find out what's corrupting your love in your own self. Uh, what is it about you that needs to be confessed and dealt with? Find that evil and deal with it. Uh, put it before the Lord. Uh, then we had verse uh, 10, be kindly affectionate uh, one to another. We should be kind. That's just the way a Christian should be kind. That's just one thing we should do. But then he says in the second phrase, in honor, giving preference to one another. So that means putting people before me. That's, that's more than just being kind. It's preferring others right out of Philippians chapter 2. Then in verse 11, the end of verse 11, serving the Lord. We should be busy serving the Lord. How? By modifiers, verse 12, by rejoicing in hope. Don't serve complaining. We serve rejoicing. We serve patient in tribulation. We, we are patient and long-suffering in the troubles that come as we serve Christ. We continue steadfastly in that with prayer. Prayer should never be separated from serving. Uh, in verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. We, we, we do that. We're just helping each other out. That's part of our service. But then he comes to this next uh, point of verse 13 where I want to start today. This is our ninth precept, if you will, uh, that we should be given to hospitality. You know, in, the, in this century and even in, early, in, in centuries uh, throughout the New Testament and even, even into modern day uh, life, if you were to go into... Uh, Mideast areas and uh, go to a home or you wander into a town, it's sort of the polite thing to do. Even in Muslim homes, it's sort of the polite thing to do to welcome you and maybe feed a guest and sometimes even uh, allow someone to stay in your home, even if it was overnight, to give them some shelter. It was not uncommon to do that. It was a courtesy. In our culture today, we've completely lost this. Uh, we, uh, we've lost the art of spontaneity of just inviting someone into our home. We're so guarded that, you know, it, it has to be put on the calendar on your daytime or it has to be put on the calendar uh, three months in advance that you have this plan that you might have somebody over because I've got to get the house ready. And it's amazing how we all just are so concerned about what someone else is going to think when they come into our home. If your home's that bad, then you need to probably clean it up before that. No, I'm just saying. Okay. Today after church, be spontaneous. Invite somebody out. If you can't have your home clean, take them out to dinner. Take them to lunch. Take them for pizza. You know, whatever. But we're, we're not doing that. And it's a lost blessing. I know that not every one of you are gifted in the area of hospitality. We have some people in our church who are so gifted that if you've been to their home, your first thought leaving their home is, I could never, I could never host anyone in my home like they did. And so then you just don't do it at all. And I want to remind us that this is something that is supposed to identify believers. You know what, I've not, I, I, I can't remember when I have had a person who doesn't know Jesus ask me to, over for dinner. I, I don't know that I ever remember that. But you know what? Believers have this ability and this, really this opportunity that the Lord Jesus has given us to show the world something that is not common. 
I, I thought, you know, here's some questions that you might want to just ask yourself about whether I do this or not. How do I do this? What, 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 what do I do? So I just wrote these general questions down. Who don't I know very well? Just ask yourself, who don't I know very well? I could have them over. Who don't I know? Well, I know most of you don't know who anybody else is around here. Some of you have, have bumped into somebody else and said, oh, are you new here? And they go, no, I've been here for five years. So I know we have a problem. Uh, so who you think you don't know? If maybe they're new. Uh, who doesn't have a family? Maybe that sh- person should be invited. Who could best answer my questions from the Bible or regarding how the church operates? Have them over. Who would be good for my family just to meet? Who has kids the same age as my children? Who uh, seems to be new in our congregation? Or here's a good one. Uh, who at work could I invite to my house for dinner? That's a good one. Uh, Mandy and Jay, my, my daughter and son-in-law, what this, uh, just a few months ago, invited one of the uh, kids' school teachers over for dinner. I thought, that's, that's perfect. That, that brown does is really well. <laughs> Especially if it's a class where your child's not doing well. You know. I, uh, years ago, when Marilyn and I were at Liberty University, I invited my speech teacher over because uh, you know, he was kind of quirky and weird, and I didn't know how he was going to grade. So I invited him over. For, he's a single guy. So I invited him for a Sunday lunch, and he said, Okay, so he came, he's sitting at the table, and I'm not kidding you, he's a little quirky, and he had a piece of food on his cheek for the whole meal. And we were afraid to tell him, you got this white clump right there, pal. You know, I, I couldn't tell him. It was too embarrassing to tell him, and it was too embarrassing to look at him. And he just, you know, ate the whole meal. Finally, I think it was Marilyn that finally said, no, you got a little something right here, and he took it off. And I got an A, I got an A in my class. <clears throat> There's good benefits from doing this. My dad, I told you my dad, my dad would uh, call my mom from the steel mill. My dad was a foreman in the mill. He would call my mom and say, I'm bringing home Charlie or I'm bringing home Harvey. Or he always has somebody that he's bringing home for supper. He would do this at least once a month. And so we would have guys who worked labor under my dad and he'd bring them home for dinner. These are guys that probably didn't have a family. And uh, my dad would bring and all different races, different guys working in the Chicago area. You know, it's all different. So he'd bring them home to our house. They'd be sitting at the table. And us kids, there's five of us, we'd be like staring at the guy like, mm, who is this guy, you know? And my dad would introduce him and tell something about what the guy does at work and uh, give him praise for how good a job he does. And uh, then we would just sit and talk and chat. And the conversation would usually come around stuff at church or whatever. And we'd talk as a family. And, and then he would take this guy home. And he would have to drive him an hour, hour and a half home. And he would take him home and talk about Jesus all the way home. I, I never saw a cruise of labor workers who so esteemed anyone as they did my dad. I learned something from that. Just being kind and hospitable to people that aren't even in your, in your mind, in your class, in your grade. But inviting them to your house is a fantastic thing. And so certainly Paul is saying here as he writes this that we should be given to hospitality. This means this is the norm, not the exception. Just wanted to say that. Uh, notice the next one, then uh, verse 14. Blessed, uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is a tough one. Uh, I've told you about Caesarea, Pastor Caesarea in Sri Lanka, because we've been there. It's very personal, but his uh, home was a Buddhist home in a Buddhist town. He uh, got converted to Christ. His father eventually died. Caesarea took the home over. And when Caesarea became the home, sort of the home owner of that, of that home now converted to Christianity, the Buddhist monks burn his home down. 
Let's just get rid of them. We'll burn the house down. Uh, he kept the property. He later on rebuilt the house to some degree, and that's where we stayed one night in the town. But well, we learned by staying with them for that uh, bit of time in that town how they have sort of reverted the, the entire town's uh, attitudes about these Christians who live in this high house on the hill because these guys care about us even though they're Christians and we're Buddhists. We burn his house down, but he does benevolent good things for us anyway. And the result of that has been incredible that James and I and, and others could go and actually go to that Buddhist school, uh, meet the actual one of the Buddhist monks who was probably a part of that. And this guy is highly interested now in Susiri and his son Meshed and is intrigued by them, calls them on the phone. And we think that there, uh, Meshed thinks there's a, a uh, sort of a, a tug and pull of this guy's heart to truth in the one who cares about him. And yet he's the one who's responsible for burning down the guy's house. Uh, we went uh, two years ago, or three years ago now, we went to a home of a pastor, young pastor, who again, in that village, his church was burnt down, and uh, the guy responsible for that was actually uh, coming to church after that. Because in the text, what Paul wants us to understand is this is such a powerful thing that Christians sometimes just lose sight of. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, it's interesting that when Paul writes this, he leaves out something that Jesus had inserted in the in his Beatitudes. In Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, bless those who persecute you for righteousness' sake. Uh, in Luke, if you read in Luke's account, in, in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 22, he says, bless, uh, bless those who persecute you for the Son of Man's sake. You know, it's, it's, it's perhaps, I always think to myself, it's probably a little easier to, to be kind and 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 care about and, and bless those who are enemies of Christ, who, if they recognize I'm a Christian and that's why they're persecuting me. So at work, if somebody wants to persecute me because uh, I'm, I'm talking about uh, Christ or I'm trying to live a good life and model that in front of them and, you know, you know you're called this and that, you're called goody tissues, you're called pastor this or that at work. And sometimes you take those hits and you take those hits and you're kind in return because you know you're on trial, but it's really not you, it's Christ on trial through you. Okay. But Paul doesn't say that here. He doesn't give us that uh, aspect. He just says, bless those who persecute you. He's talking in general to anyone who persecutes you. So now that puts them in a different arena. So when I'm uh, standing in line for a concert and the crowd is pushing and shoving and somebody decides to move me out of the way and get in front of me and, you know, my, and I get that ticket before I do and get the seat that I wanted before I got the seat and I, I just want to, what are you doing? Get out of line. You, you know, and you want to just deal with it and fix it, right? And our flesh would rise up in that moment. Maybe it's, it's some other crazy thing where somebody just cuts you off and they just treat you like you're an idiot. It's not about Jesus. It's just about life. And Paul is sort of identifying here that this is the application that goes beyond just, oh, I'm doing this for Jesus. No, I'm supposed to be who I am regardless of whether it's about Jesus or not. Well, that, that, that puts it in a whole other perspective because I'm a dirty rat when it comes to, if you do, if you do something against me, I'm going to get you back. You know, I mean, I, I mean sometimes we do that. that that's our, so often our mentality. Well, it's not about Jesus and I have the right to punch you in the head. If we don't know that Jesus is involved, then you don't know I'm a Christian. Let's do it. <laughs> no, that's not what we're supposed to do. And our American way of doing things is to fix it, and we can, and we have the strength to do it, and we're going to make right wrong no matter what if it's affecting us. 
Here's the thing. When believers are persecuted for Christ's sake or for any reason, and we are properly responding, we have no idea of the eternal impact of our actions. We have no idea what this person will end up knowing about us or thinking about us. Can you imagine going into Walmart someday shop? I always, what do I always say, Walmart? Can you imagine going into Kohl's? That's a little bit up. Uh, going into Kohl's to shop for something, and while you're in there, you see somebody that you had a fight with you know, three weeks ago about something else. And then they see you, and they recognize who you are. I mean, how do you feel about that and that moment when you realize they're just sizing me up as this dirtbag that had a fight with them about nothing? Or mouthed off to them, or gave them an attitude uh, in some other situation. And that does happen, by the way. And so uh, here's what Paul is calling us to do, how we respond in moments like this. And that person who's unrighteous in our presence, they have only one expectation if they remain unrighteous, which is they have waiting for them judgment before God and eternal punishment in hell. That's what they have waiting for them. I have eternal life waiting for me, even if I'm a dirty rat in the moment. You see, I've been forgiven. So I'm not going to be held in, my, my, in consequence to certain things I do. I, sure, God, the, Lord, the Lord calls me to repentance and, and accountability, but I've already had my sins uh, dealt with and judged and put on the cross. I walk away free in that moment, but this person who doesn't know Christ is still uh, in his sins and still expecting judgment. And when I see people like that, that should have a huge impact on how I treat them. So Paul says, bless persecutors for any reason, not just for the sake of Christ. I think that as we bless people, we become a channel to help lead them toward Christ. That's why we're kind and nice and polite. And, and even when there are uh, persecution issues against us, we're still going to present this because we're presenting Jesus. And then the truth behind what we're presenting might just be that which sets them free one day. The uh, 11th one is set here in verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I went to, I was in Kohl's, uh, came back from Sri Lanka. I gave a lot of clothes away, so I, I was going into Kohl's to replace some stuff. I'm in the Kohl's just looking at sizes of clothes. I've just got my nose down looking for my size. I'm going through, and while in the corner of my eye, I see a lady coming in, the men's section. She's just sort of slowly strolling through, and she was so out of character, I couldn't help but not look. She was maybe 76, 77 years old. She had a white uh, fur coat on, white gloves, decked to the nines. And she's walking through, and she's not touching anything, just sort of looking with a sort of an aristocratic kind of nose-in-the-air look. Okay? And my first thought was, what she's going to do is say, you there, <laughs> talking to me, you there, you know, do you have any uh, monogram pajamas in stock? You know, that's what I thought she was going to say. So I'm like ducking down, literally, looking for sizes, and then I scoot over away because I knew it was common. She's just looking for help, you know, and, and white gloves, like, you there. So I just, I got out of there. Sometimes I do help people, but I just thought, I'm not getting into this one. It was strange. Sometimes we have this uh, perception of people. As Paul uh, says this, he, he gives us a little, he stretches this out, gives us a little more information here. Do not set your mind on high things. 
He says, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And I think it is, it's mine and perhaps your tendency to look at people sometimes and we rank people by how they look, how they dress, uh, how they're, if they're clean or not, their lifestyle, uh, their influence. And I think it's really easy for us to accept someone's opinion if we think that they're already held in high esteem by somebody else. We tend to accept that and so on. It's also very easy for us to ignore anyone who we think doesn't hold to the uh, acceptable standards by which we live. Well, if you go to Luke 18, we'll see an example of that that is very uh, convicting. But obviously, these two men who are praying and you have you have the Pharisee beside the tax collector in this in this story. And though it's a parable, it's certainly a very true story in terms of how these things happen. The Pharisee is is looking horizontally. He's looking horizontally. He sees what's around him. The tax collector is is vertical in his thinking. He's, He's just seeing himself and God in the text. Two men went up, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Uh, And as he prays, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. So he's looking sideways. I'm thankful I'm not not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, or even as this tax collector. He's looking sideways. He's not even thinking about God. He's thinking about the guy next to him. He doesn't even want him around him. He doesn't think he deserves to be praying. It's such an attitude. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's basically telling God how good he is. The tax collector standing afar off because he knows he can't get close. The tax collector who distances himself from this wealthy man who knows this guy is way out of his league. He says he, he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the kind of person we're supposed to be. When we come in in this building and we uh, sit together in church or we uh, mingle after or before church, we must have in our minds this awareness that Between myself and God, I deserve nothing. I don't deserve grace. I'm a sinner. I'd be under condemnation if it wasn't for his wonderful grace toward me, his love for me. Thank you, Lord. And he loves everyone else around me exactly the same way. No one less and no one more. And if I have that attitude in my heart, I won't be looking sideways, measuring others around me, whether I'm going to give them time or not, or dodge that person, or run out of the crowd from that person, which sometimes we all do. But give time to the ones who seem to need your time more. And sometimes that's not the one you want to talk to. What's going to keep us on track? What's going to help us when it comes to the gray areas of our life where we tend to be judgmental about others in many different areas? This will really help counter that when we understand who we are in Christ. We don't approach anyone with a condescending attitude. We realize that we're all equals. 
before our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. That's who we are. Then he says in verse, uh, I want to go on to uh, the 12th thing. It's in verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So he says, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to, uh, but rather give place to, uh, uh, to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Live peaceably with all men. This does not mean compromising, uh, nor accepting inclusiveness without uh, standards. No, uh, I'm not going to do that. But we must always stand for Christ and the cause of Christ, right? No matter what it is. We're going to stand for righteousness no matter what is the issue. But we need to understand here, we're called to strive for peace, he says, as much as depends on you, as best you can. So, you know, we're not going to fight uh, with someone else for uh, our, our Christian cause. I'm not going to fight about what I believe with somebody else. Uh, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and I'm an ambassador of his truth. Ambassadors are known for uh, representing in a proper way based on who the United States is. Our ambassador should go out from us knowing who we are, what we stand on, what we believe, taking that in principle with him as he goes, but being kind and gracious even sometimes to enemies, yet not compromising the truth of who we are. That's who we want representing us. We want somebody who goes out and is strong in what they believe, but they're also uh, kind, not trying to force the enemy into some kind of issue, but rather be polite and kind, but do not give up the standards. That's who we're supposed to be. I don't want to belabor this, but what I want to do is instead talk about where we struggle. Where we really struggle is... I think Paul has dealt with it's in a different text, so I've got to jump to that text. But 1 Corinthians 5, I want you to go there and see where the issue becomes a struggle for us. And I asked this question to us this morning. To whom are we specifically to not associate with? Because if there is a limit to who we would associate with on a friendship basis or a, even a peaceable basis, who would that be that we're not to do that with, and so I want to go in and look at this just for a second. In uh, verses 9 through 13 of chapter 5, Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter, talking uh, to these folks, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. I want to pause just for a second. If you're not a Christian and you're here today as not being a Christian. You're pretty sure you're not following Jesus the way, the way you would have confidence in that. I want you to know, I'm not talking about you right now. I want you to know that Jesus Christ has one thing for you. He wants you to know he loves you, and he wants to forgive you and bring you into relationship with him. So when Paul writes this, he wants us to understand who he's talking about. So he's declaring here, I'm not talking about those who might have sexually immoral issues in the world. I'm not talking about those who are covetous in the world. I'm not talking about extortioners who are in the world. I'm not talking about idolaters who are in the world. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Because <laughs> everybody's, everybody's a sinner. We're all sinners. We're not better than anybody else. So don't hear that. 
But hear this, verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, somebody who calls himself a Christian, who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. And look, he expands, not even to eat with such a person. Now, okay, here's where it gets tough. You have a family member, you love that person with all your heart. Might be a son, daughter, might be a parent. What do you do? How do we take that text? Is he saying we can't have peace? Is he saying that we're going to have this friction that's always going to be there and there's no solution? Is that what he's saying? And my actions are going to intensify that and keep that friction going when I could probably, just by being nice, calm the issue down. So I won't talk about sin. I won't talk about anything. We'll just have a nice Christmas together and not talk about anything. If we can just keep it on the surface, we'll all get along. Isn't that what most of us tend to do? In our homes, let's just don't bring up anything and we'll all be okay. And a person might even come who's, who knows that they're the black sheep of the family and they don't believe, they're not following Jesus, or they say they are, but they're not. And they might come to some event already knowing they're going to get blasted, but maybe they'll come and take a, take a shot at it. And they're just hoping again nothing comes up that identifies the problems. And as good parents and good family, we just don't want to do that either. Don't upset the apple cart, so we'll all just be polite and kind, and we'll get along and have a nice time, open our presents, and we'll all go home. What is Paul saying here, and how do we apply this? And let me identify who this is again. Let me help identify the issue. It's not somebody who has committed sexual immorality. It's not somebody who is once in a while covetous or once in a while idolatering their life or once in a while reviling or somebody who gets drunk once in a while. Uh, It's not about that. This is talking about somebody who claims to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior but defiantly lives in a continued sin without any sense of conviction, any sense of remorse, or any sense of repentance. That's who he's talking about. And so such people who want our acceptance by how they live and choose to live and what they want to say, but yet they they hold us to their own desired and disobedient lifestyle. And I'm saying to you this morning, that cannot be allowed within the body of Christ. And that's where it gets tough. I've told you many times, the compromise of our life as parents who are Christians, as homeowners who have families, the compromise of our life is always first in family. It's always first in the family. We're always tested most in the family when one, somebody in our family goes against the grain of what we believe and it's so much against the grain, it's almost in your face and because it's like that, we don't know what to do with that and we read this text and we say, well, if I do this, it'll be worse. They'll never come around again. But Paul's issue here is that if they're doing that, if they're declaring that they're saved and they're just declaring it and then doing their own thing in violation of his word, I have a responsibility first to Christ, not to my kids or my family or my friends or anybody. And that's not being legalistic. It's being, I I, I walk with Christ. He's called me to do that and to be a testimony. And when I have somebody professing his name in my life and they're not doing that, they're completely obstinately doing the opposite of they know what's right. How can I pat them on the head and have a lunch with them? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because all we're doing is affirming their sin if we don't deal with it. I'm not talking about being mean, vindictive. 
uh, accusative. I'm talking about even if I am going to sit down and have lunch with somebody, all I'm going to talk about is Jesus and what's right. I don't even have to talk to them about what's wrong. I just have to talk about Jesus and what's right. I have found that most people I know that are close to me don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear what's right when they're living wrong. I didn't get any amens about this, this part. Because most of us have family that are like this. Have, we have problems. I'm not saying you turn your back. I'm not, off, I'm not for shunning. That's not what the, this is not talking about that. This is really instructing us that how we're going to treat somebody is not to have a carefree, surface uh, relationship with people where we never talk about what's right or wrong, to avoid conflict. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the opposite. We're going to always press the issue of what we believe because we care about that person's soul. And if we don't say what's true and what we believe in a loving way, either way we've lost them if they don't respond. We, we're, we're, already, we're already filtering these things through principle, precept number one. Precept number one is what? I die to self. I belong to Christ. Precept two, I don't want to be conformed by this world or shaped by this world. I don't want my kids like that either. But God, I, I want them to know this is a home where the home will stay true to God's word regardless of what they do. And I pray that they'll come back to truth one day. And I love them with all my heart. I'm going to tell them I love them with all my heart, but we're wrong here. Now, if you're not professing Christ, there's no wrong. Really? What are you going to do? person's not saved. They're not convicted. That's a whole different ballgame. And he's saying here, that's not who he's talking about and how he treats someone. But if it's a believer in Christ, professing believer, and they're not following any truths, they're actually obstinate in their lifestyles against truth, then we need to be careful how we do it. Only verse 13, but those who are outside God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Talking about who's the evil person? Somebody who professes Christ and isn't. I, I could just go on and on all morning. I, I just, if you think I haven't dealt with this or haven't struggled with this, you're wrong. If you think this hasn't been in my life, you're wrong. I, I have personal experience. I know what it's like. I also know today that uh, over the years of my life, especially with my two uh, kid sisters and uh, the, the life that we've gone through in the past, uh, by the blood of Christ has been forgiven, I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to tell you that they have recommitted their lives to Christ, which is wonderful. But during those years when there was rebellion in the camp and they knew exactly what they were doing, they knew their brother was not someone to talk to. And so the phone call stopped for years. And they stop because I have nothing to say. I'm not going to talk about what games you're playing today or you know, what your little doggy looks like. I'm going to talk about what is happening in your life and where's Christ in the reality of that. And you know, I love you, but you've got to get back on track with who he is and repent of your sins. Well, I don't want to hear that, so we're not going to talk to him. But today we're talking because God has done his work, and I, I praise God for that. That's just one example in my family, but I'm just telling you that's so important. Don't let yourself get sucked in to accommodate sin, to give a false uh, acceptance to anyone around you when, in fact, you need to be very tough sometimes on this idea. So peace at all costs is not always right, is what I'm saying. As much as it depends on you, it doesn't mean that then you just put forward this, I'm going to have peace with my, un, with my saved, quote, sinning kids or family or friends, uh, and I'm going to maintain peace. That's not what he's saying. Be very careful about that. The 13th one is found here in verse 21. Let me go back. 
verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This sort of goes uh, hand in hand with blessing those who persecute us, but uh, takes it a step further, talking about evil in our lives. I want to say a couple things here. We have power in Christ, you and I. We have power in Christ to not allow evil to consume us or control us. We have the power in Christ to, to avoid that. How do I know? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, let me read this verse to you. It says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, hopefully. That's my word. Let's go on. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Uh, it's this idea that, okay, as a Christian, hopefully we're all in this mindset of, uh, I, I, I have willingly tried to renounce all the things that I sometimes want to hide, things about me that no one else knows. I want to willingly uh, lay those down and renounce them because those are the things that often defeat us, right, in our personal lives, things that no one else knows about. I lay that down. I don't want to walk in craftiness. That means plotting how to maintain something on the side while I'm trying to profess or promote my Christian goodness. I, I, I have this dark side. And so he's saying, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. In other words, saying, well, this is what I believe when I really am not believing that. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. This goes back to this belonging together. The closer you are together with fellow believers, belonging one to another, it's pretty tough to pull on two lifestyles and pull it off if you're really connected to others. It's impossible to pull it off if you understand verse 1 of chapter 12 because I've dealt with this. I've given my life to him. I've laid my life down. He lives in me. That's how it works. So here in 2 Corinthians, Paul adds, if you want to go down to verse 10 and 11, he kind of he actually goes to uh, help, uh, helping us understand how we process Romans 12.1. He says, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 11 says, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. What is he saying? Every day I deliver, I give my life, I lay it on the altar for the sake of Jesus Christ who bought me with his price. He loves me and paid the price, so I daily lay my life down to that, to him. And that's what Paul's saying here. For we, he says we, we, uh, we do this, we, we live our, those of us who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Why? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I want you to see Christ in me, not me in me. I want you to see that, uh, that I've died in, in him and he's the one living through us. You can see how this points back to Romans 12.1. We have power in Christ to not allow evil to consume us or control us, but we also have that we have power in Christ for something else. We have power in Christ to triumph over evil, not just avoid it or, or somehow you know, have uh, sort of not let it control us, but to have power over this evil. Uh, if I can, and still in 2 Corinthians, but if you go back just to chapter 2 and, and read uh, verse 14 of chapter 2. And actually, I want to read a couple of verses there, so let me just do this real quick. I want to go and read let me read, first of all, verse 14. 
Now I want to go back to, uh, yeah, I want to go to verse 14. He says, but the natural man does not, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, I want to read this. Verse 14, he says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. This morning I was getting ready for church. And uh, I was trying to spray something on to make me smell better. And I got way too much on. I just, I had a long squirt. I, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know how those things are. I'm like, oh, and, and I, it's, it was filling the bathroom up. I, I shut the door. I turned the fan on. I'm trying to ditch the smell. It's, it's all over me. So I'm, I'm running out of check for church, and I'm getting ready to leave. My car is running, and Marilyn calls down from two, two floors up. I can smell you! <laughs> Meaning, I put way too much on. I, and I'm like, I know! So you go and try to wipe it off, you know, and Reduce the odor. It's like, oh my goodness. But there's an odor I don't want to reduce. There's an odor I want to have increased in my life. I want somehow to give off a fragrance. Well, the, the word fragrance has everything to do with, it's supposed to have to do with loveliness. This is not a pungent fragrance. That fragrance means lovely. It's a, it's a fragrance that's nice. And, and obviously here, to diffuse a fragrance of his knowledge of what I am pursuing and getting to know and how I'm applying that knowledge in my life is all part of this fragrance that's given out by our lives. And so he's just reminding us that as you understand this, when evil is around us, we're to overcome evil with good and the best good I can do is realize I have power in Christ. I don't have to be held in hostage by that sin. I can, I can keep it from consuming me just by doing the right things, the right exercises, staying close to Christ. I can control it from dominating my life, but also not just that. I can have triumph and victory over it as I surrender myself to Christ and realize if I die into self, that can't have control over me. But there's also a practical part. How do I really accomplish that? Well, I want to say uh, uh, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we have this uh, Holy Spirit presence in our lives that gives us things that counter all the evil around us. He gives me love. He gives me joy. He gives me peace. He gives me long-suffering. He gives me kindness. He gives me goodness. He gives me faithfulness. He gives me gentleness. And he gives me self-control. Lord, thank you. Because without these tools, without this presence in my life, I'm going to give off a smell that's just going to be repugnant. I'm going to, I'm going to have people seeing and watching and observing and saying, his love is hypocritical. That person doesn't really hate evil. They seem to always slide back to it all the time. That person over there is, they're just not hospitable. They're, they're not even approachable. They're, they're not friendly. They, they don't care about me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling as though uh, 
that person's got a, a, a reactive temper. It's, it seems like when uh, something doesn't go right, they're just like reacting all the time. Uh, I can't even have a conversation with my husband or my wife because they're always coming back at me with something strong and, and powerful, pushing back. Uh, where's, the, where's the Christ-like gentleness and kindness and, and preferring others? Where's the person who loves Christ so much they don't want to be controlled and shaped by the world? Where's the person who's, who I think should be dying to self? Why do I keep seeing their self rising up and controlling and dictating and dominating? You see, when we understand what Paul's trying to call us to as believers in Christ, we, we realize that this is not something that we cannot accomplish. It's not something that we can't be. These are precepts expected of us, but obviously they go back to, I can't even pull these off without first giving my life to him as a daily sacrifice. If I don't start there, this is never going to happen. That temper is going to flare up. That attitude, that, that look that I give people, that, uh, that tendency to think thoughts that shouldn't be in my mind, all those things are going to flare up all the time when I have not gone to him and said, Lord, I am daily Dying to self, I'm yours. And God help us when we start talking about our differences, what we think is right and wrong. And the Bible doesn't even say it's wrong, so therefore I can do this and that. And as we talk about that stuff, again, I'm going to filter all that through these precepts because this is where we see the truth manifesting itself. And when we can follow these precepts, which are not impossible, folks, they're given to us in Scripture because that's the roadmap of how we're supposed to look and how we're supposed to act. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to recognize that this is not just words on a white page. This is not just fluff that has been written out. These, these are precepts. These are basic truths that every believer must be working toward to accomplish me included all of us are included in this and as we do that God will use all these things in a way that shapes us and makes us more like him and that's what we want right to be more like Jesus Christ that, that's the whole point of this text we're reflecting him and as we reflect him and so today you know don't go out feeling guilty that you have to invite somebody home today but it would be a good thing but you don't have to do that But on the other hand, don't be so caught up in yourself that you think that I'm going to come in your house and evaluate on a scorecard what your house looks like when I come to to eat dinner. When we went to Sri Lanka, and uh, I got to share, and I'm sure it's true whether you're in Bangladesh or Sri Lanka, but um, we went to different hotels at night because we had nowhere to stay otherwise. These were not hotels like you think. These are like, more like shacks. And, and uh, there's pretty much dirt everywhere. My, when Marilyn and I go to stay somewhere, the, the, the law of the land is, if that hotel is not within three years having been built, we're not staying there. Well, it's hard to find a hotel that new anymore. And then if it's not them, then there's the white glove standard. If there's dirt in the corners, then they have not cleaned. You know, it's one of those things. There's probably bed bugs. You know, ah, get the light out, you know. So in Sri Lanka, they don't even use bleach when they wash things. So the sheets are like dark gray. It, it, nothing feels clean. Nothing looks clean. And there is dirt everywhere. 
And so your mindset is that, I, I don't know if I can do this. Well, on the other hand, they graciously invite you in. There's almost a sense of, this, this is a nice place. We take care of this place. You come in. I, I go, is there hot water? Yes. Well, there isn't hot water. <laughs> but you find out there's no hot water. Somebody else used it. You know, there's only about one bucket of hot water, probably. So somebody had, there was hot water for a moment. But that's not the point. That They invite you in with a graciousness that this is the place that they have to offer you. And uh, I know a couple of places where we looked in the door, and Misha would open the door and look in and go, do you think this is okay for you guys? Go, well, it's late at night. What are we going to say? No? And it's like, yeah, it'll be, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And, and you go in with a bit of a hesitancy, and then you realize the host of that place, this is all they have. This is the best they have. Now, and if they couldn't get it as clean as I want it to be clean, because the whole time I'm there, I never once saw a bar. I don't think I saw a bar of soap. Maybe in a couple, they have a couple of handmade bars that they make. But there's, there's no Clorox. There's nothing that cleaned the bathroom floor. and the, It's not done like that. So it's just not the standard we're used to. It's not glistening and smells fresh. No, it's, it, No. And the point is that you don't evaluate people by where you think your standards are. You evaluate them by their, who they are and in Christ and what they're offering you in their own sense of graciousness. Come on in. So guess what? Your house doesn't have to be perfectly clean. Believe me, since I've been over there, I don't see dirt anymore. It's like, you know, just and offer yourself that way. Trust the process of loving your fellow believers, or bring over an unsaved person and tell them how much you love them because of Christ. We've got to get back to those things that are unique in our culture and completely different from the world we live in. And I promise you, if we think that way, God will use these things to manifest himself in ways we never even dreamed of. We have a world that's starving for relationships, especially a younger generation. They don't even know what relationships are anymore. And we have a chance and a power in Christ to do something so effectively different from the world around us and how we live. Let's commit ourselves to that. Let's pray. Lord, your word tells us how we should live as believers. We're so busy. We're so crazy busy with life and running here and there and putting our family in front of everything else, which I understand why we do that. But Lord, in the process of that, we have just really abandoned what you've scripted out for us to do and be. And in the world we live in, the culture we live in, we have this power and opportunity to be a light in, in dark places. But we've got to be able to have that light shining there. Help us to think how we can strategically be that person. Lord, I pray as well you'd give courage to uh, believers uh, who have family and friends close to them, who are not living for you, who profess that they are following you, but they're not. So much not that it's, it's very uncomfortable and it hurts. We still love them and we say we love them with all of our heart, but we plead with them to get right with you. I, I ask that you'll help us to be courageous in what we believe and to have strength to see ourselves living like you've called us to live in this day. I pray for our church. You'll keep us unified in Christ. Help us to stand true in these days and not accommodate the world around us. 
We are to love those in this world, but not to let them have whatever they want and however they want it without us speaking truth. Lord, if we get arrested for speaking truth, God, help us to take that and be willing to take whatever man dishes out to us because for the cause of Christ we do this. We see all these things and we say, Lord, help us because it's impossible to do these things without your strength in us. So help us even to remember that we give our lives to you. We die on the altar. We allow Christ to live through us. And then we discover how these things can, can take place in our lives. I ask you'll speak to all of us. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy. We give all praise and glory to Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.